Welcome to Let's Talk Farm to Fork, the post-harvest podcast that interviews people making an impact in the fresh produce sector. We'll take a deep dive into what they do and find out how they're helping to reduce the amount of food lost or wasted along the farm to fork journey. But before we get started, did you know that according to the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization, around 45% of the world's fruits and vegetables go to waste each year? If you would like to learn more about how you can practically play your part in maximizing fruit and vegetable supplies, whether you're a part of the industry or simply a consumer, visit postharvest.com and try out their free online course library today. Now, time for your host, Mitchell Denton. Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk Farm to Fork, the post-harvest podcast that interviews people of interest across the food supply chain. Today on our show, I'm joined by Steve Statler from Williot, who I'll be talking to about how their innovative IoT and cloud technology is improving distribution and reducing the amount of annual food loss within the fresh produce industry. So with no further delays, let's get started. Hi, Steve. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. How are you? Oh, great. I'm actually just about to go off on holiday to Italy. So I'm in that pre-holiday frenzy, but uh, I can't think of a better way of spending the day than having a chat with you about some of the things we're doing. So thanks for the opportunity to do that. Oh, no worries. Uh, Whereabouts in Italy are you going? We're starting off in Venice, then we're going to Florence, and then we're going to Rome. So it's a very touristy route, but it's one I've done before, and my wife hasn't, and neither has my son, so I'm I'm enjoying doing that with them. That'll be lovely. My wife's from Trieste, which Uh is near Venice, quite north Italy. Excellent. So it's a beautiful area. I'm quite jealous. It is. Well, my wife has actually been spending the last uh, week and a bit hiking through the Dolomites. So she's uh, already kind of in the zone uh, in in that area, literally in the zone. Fantastic. I mean, I could spend the rest of this podcast talking about Italy, but I probably shouldn't. So before (laughs) we get into it, I'm just going to let you introduce yourself, uh, tell us what you do, and if you have the time, perhaps a fun fact about yourself. So uh, first of all, I'm Steve Statler, and I am responsible for central marketing within Williot. I joined the company Mm -hmm. back in 2017, a few weeks after it was founded. So I don't know whether that's a fun fact. Um, uh, (laughs) Other fun facts, I played a role in a professional production of Antony and Cleopatra. Oh, nice. I played a slave that handed an asp to... Cleopatra. And it was an amazing experience hanging out with a bunch of uh, real actors who uh, were on TV and that sort of thing. That's great. In another life, uh, maybe would have gone down the theater route. Is that is that what I'm getting? I from think this? so. I think so. I um, I don't think I'm a very good actor, so I'm, it's probably good that I stuck to the technology. But I used to run a uh, the college radio station that required less talent. So, <laughs> but it's also been largely automated. So I'm, I'm pretty pleased that I uh, fell into computer science and, and then to this. Fantastic. Before I start to ask you questions about Williot's technology, I just want to ask, would you mind describing your pixel technology to the listeners and what goes into these postage stamp size chips? Yeah, it's, it's a ground up redesigned IoT device. So Williot is a semiconductor designer. We're a fabulous semiconductor company. So we designed this chip, which uh, is the brains in a computer the size of a postage stamp, which is Mm. 
battery free. It powers itself by harvesting or recycling the radio frequency energy that surrounds it, mm. which allows you to make them at very low cost, very small, very thin, you know, a lot less uh, environmentally hazardous when compared to IoT devices with batteries. And uh, they look a bit mm -hmm. like RFID tags for anyone that's familiar with those, but they have the benefit of being secure. Um, they talk to infrastructure that sometimes is already there. So the cost of deploying our product in a store can be uh, hundreds or thousands of times less than if you had to kit out a store or a distribution center or a tractor with the equivalent gear. And uh, we actually give away all of that IP and technology to people that want to make our tags. And what we do is we provide a cloud service, which gives people access to the information that is provided by these pixels, these tiny postage stamp size computers. Yeah, that's fantastic. Continuing on this thought, the technology can be deployed in a number of use cases. How is your IoT pixel and cloud technology improving the traceability and distribution of fresh produce within the food supply chain? I mean, th there's uh, a lot of benefits to uh, applying these tags to containers for food and other products. But before I go there, it's basically about visibility. Uh, at, at the moment, we really, it's really hard to know what's going on in a supply chain. 99% mm. of supply chains in the dark. Yeah. But when you start attaching these tiny pixel tags, then suddenly you've got visibility. So pixels are called pixels because they bring light, they're small. And when you get a lot of them, you start to get this picture that wasn't visible before. And so you go from a supply chain that's in the dark to suddenly having an almost omniscient view of the product throughout the entire cycle from farm to store. Mm -hmm. And you know the practical benefits of that are massive opportunity to reduce waste and improve quality and uh, reduce carbon footprint. So there's a lot that can be done to make that farm to fork supply chain more sustainable simply by understanding mm. the temperature and location of the product from the point that it's pulled out of the ground or, or picked off the vine or wherever it's being harvested and going to the destination. So I can go into a bit more detail into you know, why visibility allows you to reduce waste and... Uh, Please do. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's funny. It's like all this stuff's been going on in the dark. You kind of hope that it's being done efficiently. Everyone puts the processes in place and then you shine a light on it or you, know, you lift up the cover and you're like, oh, gosh, reality is actually mm. not always as clean and tidy as you hoped it would be. Yeah. So what we've seen is, you know, one example is just the flow of product harvesting and so forth. It's not a gradual process. It all gets done, you know, within a short period of time. So we find produce gets put into packing sheds, storage areas, and this sort of ideal first in first out flow of produce turns into a last in first out. So you can have perishable products sitting at the back of a storage area, whether it's on the farm, in a distribution center, or even in a store. And so, you know, what should be a three-day journey to the store can actually be an eight-day journey. And yeah. so just that 
means that shelf life is really at its limit. And mm -hmm. that's not good because if the stuff goes bad in the store, then you're throwing it away and writing it off. If it goes mm -hmm. bad in the customer's home, you know, they get the strawberries home and they don't taste good. They're obviously dissatisfied and they'll start looking for another place to shop. But that mm -hmm. flow is just one dimension. There's a whole temperature dimension that we see, especially in cold chains, in uh, not necessarily frozen transportation of product, but these refrigerated containers. You know, we'd like to think that it's all one temperature in there, but actually it's many different temperature zones. And as we've started to work with more and more grocery stores and we've started tagging more and more things that go into these big containers, we're finding a lot of things that shouldn't be frozen are being frozen. And a lot of things that should be kept cool are actually much too warm. So, I mean, one specific example, there was uh, watermelons that are not supposed to be frozen and they weren't just frozen once, they were frozen seven times. So you can imagine mm. what that product is like when you get it home, cut it open and, uh, you know, it's just mush. And the same goes for bananas. And so there's a lot. And one of the things that if you start to have this omniscient view of where everything is, the flow, the temperature, you can empower the local teams to fix problems quickly, send messages to the person that's in charge, maybe the driver who's turned off the cooling unit on the reefer container. You can do tactical things, but then, you know, you, you can still get amazing information that allows you to sort and reorder the product before it goes onto the shelf rather than doing first in first out, which is uh, very often seen as the ideal. You can actually do ripest first. So something that may have been in the supply chain for three days, but has been exposed to quite high temperatures. Maybe you want to get that on the shelf before something that's been in the supply chain for four days, but has been kept at, you know, a really good temperature control level. Mm. So those are some of the things that you can do. And then the net result of that is less waste. And if you can eliminate waste, then you're essentially shrinking your carbon footprint and becoming more profitable at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. So I see that there are both battery-free and battery-assisted pixels. Could you please explain the points of difference between the two? Yes. So uh, size, battery-free, there's no battery, so it tends to be smaller. Battery-free tags are the size of a postage stamp. When mm. we add a printed battery to the chip that we have, it does make it bigger. It becomes about two-thirds the size of a business card. And so there's a size difference. There's a cost difference. So uh, our battery-free pixels, by the end of next year, they'll be less than 10 cents. Our hope mm. is that the battery-assisted pixels will be around about a dollar in that time frame. So you add the battery, and it, it definitely makes it more expensive. But it has the advantage that you don't have to worry about there being radio waves to harvest energy from. So we frequently mm. get the question, I'm on a desert island, I'm in the middle of nowhere, there's no radio energy to harvest, yeah. will your product work? And the answer is, well, no, it won't if it's battery free. But if you have a battery assisted pixel, should you wish to start doing serialization of your supply chain on a desert island, it will work. <laughs> So that is, you know, really the benefit. And they're both two different tools in the kit bag for people to use to uh, get visibility of, uh, of, of assets. 
So I assume the battery-assisted pixels would go on more of those like long-haul journeys through the supply chain. Would would they go through like shipments and things like that? Well, actually, I mean, you can put the battery-free pixels in there. In some ways, they're very suited to that. But you do mm. need to have a radio device that is broadcasting some Bluetooth energy or other kinds of energy, and yeah. is is configured to read the tag as well. And that kind of dishing out the energy as well as reading it it's a hurdle especially in the early days yeah uh, but we're getting more and more companies that make devices that are making them work with Williot is the mm -hmm. uh, tagline that we use and in the future 6g has been announced and some of the feature sets include basically what we're doing so we see a future where basically every radio device uh, will work with ambient tags like ours, and uh, so that will be less of a concern. The place where we see the battery-assisted tag work best is where you're crowdsourcing. It's not in a in a supermarket that's owned by the person that's doing the tagging, uh, and the person that's doing the tagging wants the tags to be readable in every supermarket there mm. is, and. You know, realistically, not every supermarket is going to have the devices that energize and read our tags. So in situations like that, where you're crowdsourcing use cases like uh, merchandising compliance, which has the sign that's advertising the uh, uh, Labor Day promotion been put out, and 50% of the time it's not. In, in cases like that, where you want anyone with a phone to read a tag randomly in any place, then that's the place where this battery-assisted pixel or tag really comes to the fore. Yeah, fantastic. So have there been any exciting partnerships that have been formulated through getting your technology across the farm-to-fork journey? Many, many. I mean, part of it is, you know, the retailer themselves becomes a partner because they're at the apex of a supply chain that includes mm. farmers and distributors and so forth. But in terms of our scale, we're a startup. We're 150 people. We're well-funded. We had a SoftBank invested $200 million uh, in our company, Amazon, PepsiCo are investors. But you know, we're still very small relative to the giants of the smart tag industry. Uh, mm. Avery Dennison's the largest, and they are, they're also one of our investors, but they also have massive production capability and a mm. huge partner network of companies that take inlays the kind of the core of these smart tags and finish them off with different conversions that might be resistant to uh, moisture and all these other things so seeing our core technology embraced by companies like that and other you know, the wi-fi access point vendors the people that make those radio devices uh, companies like cisco and aruba and juniper mist who make a lot of the infrastructure Mm -hmm. Those are the partnerships that get me really excited because therein lies the ability to scale. And that's what every startup wants to do that's wanting to change the world. And, and, and we want to change the world. Yeah, absolutely. What's the biggest challenge Williot is currently facing and how are you looking to overcome it? Well, I think there's many challenges. All of them are solvable. At one end of the spectrum, human beings are not very good at changing what they do. <laughs> and if you go to someone and say, hey, what if you could see every item in inventory in your supply chain, would that be valuable? Then they'd probably say, yes, it would be valuable. But then, you know, how do they get ready to absorb that? It just requires a lot of re-engineering of 
roles, responsibilities, processes. And that is one of our challenges. It's, yeah, this can completely transform our supply chains, make them safer, more efficient, more sustainable, but it requires change. So our response to that is to be less ambitious and really look at optimizing processes that already exist. So we've gravitated to applying our tags to returnable transport items, crates and pallets, because if you suddenly get visibility of those, you don't really have to change what you do. You just can have a smaller pool of pallets and crates. And you know, rather than buying 6 million, you buy 5 million. And you tend to lose a lot less of them. So that doesn't require boardroom decisions. But to really take advantage of what we do and maximize the benefit, which is you know, less about optimizing the crates and more about optimizing what's in the crates, the produce, that tends to require people to change what they do and how they do it. And that really just requires education, which is why people who do what you do are really important to us because you're helping to get the word out. Hopefully people will listen to this and they'll give some thought to it. And, uh, you know, eventually as an ecosystem, we'll figure out that, yeah, this is a good idea and we'll all start changing the way we do what we do. Yeah. Yeah. You, you mentioned earlier cases of watermelons being frozen up to seven times before reaching their end destination. I'm just wondering, what's the biggest surprise you've found in relation to fruits and vegetables traveling through the food supply chain? Um, just the sheer magnitude of the issues. That's like just one issue. I could reel off a, a litany of bad handling problems, which none of it's malicious and it's just, mm. you know, everyone's doing their job. And, you know, the fact that everyone's on the arrival of stuff that should be in chillers that are left for hours on the shop floor. And I mean, there's just so many things like that. And the thing that is a little frustrating is that finding out about problems is not always welcomed. You know? <laughs> um, yeah. It's like uh, ignorance is bliss, and there's mm -hmm. definitely a certain amount of that. So it's not just about technology. It's about empowering people to solve problems. If all this information goes to some VP in head office and they start firing out nasty grams to everyone that's got a problem, then that's going to be problematic. So part of what we've got to do is think about systems that provide the information to people that can fix the problem before anyone in headquarters ever sees it. And yeah, okay, maybe there's escalation. So there's a lot of usability, user experience, design, cultural things. So the fact that people don't want to know that there are problems is probably the thing that call me naive, but I just thought people would want to know. Yeah. <laughs> often they don't. Yeah, absolutely. Continuing this thread, we've talked about how the supply chain is mostly in the dark, talking about traceability and transparency. What, in your opinion, represents one of the main challenges in the fight against food waste? I think it's the fact that our organizations are not set up to do what needs to be done. And I think, you know, what we've talked about is pretty technical. If you look at how many people would be bothered to follow along and think about this. It's it's small. So, you know, I think getting the information to the board level, CXO level about what is possible and then having them get the right people to approach it in the right way is, I mean, those are some of the things that I think are critical to moving it forward. And 
you know, the thing that has really surprised me pleasantly is that when you do talk to a chairman or a, a, a CEO, they kind of get it. They're kind of hoping that there are some magic bullets from a technology perspective that are going to allow them to deal with this supply chain nightmare that we're facing and, and the environmental nightmare. I mean, it was 111 degrees just up the road from me in Escondido. This can't go on. We've got to do something about it. And if it's about everyone doing the right thing, then guess what? Nothing's going to happen. But what I see is the opportunity to save money and have you know, much better tasting fruit and vegetables and throwing less away. And so that's kind of what gets me up in the morning. That's the thing that makes me optimistic. Talking to guests on this podcast, the COVID pandemic has either been a bit of a problem or a great opportunity for them and, and their business. I just want to know, as far as Williot's concerned, for better or worse, has the COVID pandemic had any effect on your day-to-day -day operations? For sure. Uh, and, you know, it's been a mixed bag. We went for over a year of not seeing the, the R&D folks over in Israel where the chips are designed and mm. a management team that couldn't get together. And that had a real impact on us. But the flip side was it's really created some huge problems that our technology is really well suited to. So outside of the farm sector, where this definitely applies, but outside of the farm sector, you know, we, we ended up doing a project to integrate our tag with those tiny vials of COVID vaccine. That would never have happened mm. uh, if we hadn't been dealing with the fact that temperature control of medicine is also super important. Definitely. So it's, uh, and it's also stressed retail in a way that I think has accelerated, you know, coming to terms with, what was happening already, which is this move to omni-channel, buy online, pick up in store. Suddenly, everyone's been forced to learn how to order things online. And the old ways just no longer are sustainable. Uh, we see 20% of pick requests failing uh, when people buy online because the inventory is just so out of whack because the old systems didn't need to be that accurate. But the new systems have to be super accurate because if I'm buying the last watermelon and I mm. show up and it's not there, then I'm going to get pretty annoyed. You know, there's only so many substitutions that someone that's getting a delivery will accept. So it's definitely helped us from that mm. perspective by accelerating the visibility of problems that were going to be surfaced anyway. Absolutely. So is there a particular group or innovation within the industry that you're excitedly keeping a watchful eye on? I mean, I think it's the retailers because, you know, they have so much power. They can set, you know, one of our largest customers, I think who's almost everyone's largest customer, they have the ability to set standards in a way that can completely transform an industry. That's a very um, exciting thing. So it's, it's, it's what kind of uh, is driving a huge amount of our hiring activity. So if anyone is interested in what I've just described, then <laughs> please go to the careers page on williot.com because yeah. we need people to deploy this technology and, and, and make it work to satisfy those, those retailers who really drive the agenda in this supply chain. Yeah, great. So Steve, we are coming to a close, but before we do, I just wanted to ask, what is the major point you really want the listeners to take away from this episode? I think the key thing is the possibilities of what 
can be done. You know, start to think about if everything was online and I could see where everything was, how could I change my business? And it's taken me years to really think through this to the extent that I have. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a very valuable thought experiment. And who knows, maybe you'll start up a new business or maybe you'll mm. start up a new business inside your own business or you know, maybe you'll bring in some technology that can address some of these big problems that we've been discussing. Yeah, oh, that's great. Well, that's all for today's episode of Let's Talk Farm to Fork. Thanks for listening, and thank you, Steve, for joining me today. Oh, it's been a it's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much. If you'd like to know more about Steve and Williot, check out the link in the description of this episode. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode, and don't forget to leave a review and share with your friends. Until next time, you've been listening to Let's Talk Farm to Fork, a post-harvest podcast. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Let's Talk Farm to Fork. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Also, if you would like to learn more about how you can practically play your part in maximizing fruit and vegetable supplies, whether you're a supplier, consumer, or anyone in between the farm to fork journey, visit postharvest.com and try out their free online course library today.